Last week, we learned about God's gracious love and that he bestows his love on the whole world through general revelation. We also learned that he has given mankind insights into who he is and what he desires from each one of us. We learned that he desires a deep and personal relationship with each one of us. He has made it possible for our sinful hearts to be restored to righteous hearts through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we know that there are many places in the Bible where we can read about the living water of God. We know that the living water is precisely what our souls need. When we have this water, we will never thirst again. And each one of us understands what it is like in a physical sense to be thirsty, don't we? How when your tongue is parched and your mouth is dry because you've been working hard and you've been sweating and you've been uh, at it all day long and didn't take a moment to get a drink and when you get that cold glass of water that nothing else will work except that glass of water and how good it is for you when you drink that water. And you know, it's the same way with the living water that God gives us. It sustains us. It quenches us. It takes away something, and we just don't understand what it's taking away, but it's filling us with God's love and with His purpose in our lives. And today we're going to take a journey with Jesus through the town of Samaria. And as we journey here, we will see the fruit of this living water play out in the life of of a woman and her entire town. And there are a couple of lessons that I would like us to learn on this journey today. And the first lesson is to let, to let God rule your life. Let Him be your ruler. Don't let the things that happen in this world and the things going on around the world rule you. Rather, let God rule you. And the second lesson is to let God complete the good work that He began in you. Because when we become Christian, we've learned already in Ephesians 2.10 that we are His workmanship created for good works. And God has a plan for us and He's going to work that out in us. So let us take a moment and go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to first focus on letting God have control in our lives. Let Him change you. When we let God, we are free. He can work through us in ways that we never thought possible. His Spirit is free to work out God's perfect will for our lives. His plan will play out in perfect harmony with our spirits when we place our full trust and confidence in Him. So let us take a moment and go to John chapter 4, starting in verse 4. And we're going to read through to verse 42 to get the picture of this story. Now he had gone, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town called Samaria in Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? 
His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this drinks the water I give them. I'm sorry, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now, that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one, I, the one you are speaking to, I am he. The disciples rejoined Jesus at this point. Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that none of you know about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, It's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest, a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. 
I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The beginning of this story starts with that Jesus was tired from his journey. He was tired. In this moment, we get an opportunity here to see Jesus in his humanity, don't we? For we know that Jesus was fully God and that he was fully human. And we also understand that he put aside his prerogatives of deity while he was on the earth and he experienced life the same way that we do. He was subject to fatigue just as we are subject to it. He thirsted just as we thirst. And he got hungry just as we do. Yet also we see his fully divine nature as well, don't we, in this story. We see his ability, number one, to expose sin. And the second way we're seeing his deity here is his ability to forgive sin. Let's take a moment and consider the Samaritan woman. She went to the well at noon to get water. And Jesus came there because he was thirsty and tired. What was she doing there at noon? Many of the uh, things that I've read about when they go get water from this well in Samaria, it usually was in the morning or in the evening when it was cooler. Yet she was there at noon. And I just kind of asked myself the question, why did she wait until the heat of the day? It was common for people to go in the earlier hours. Was she up to something unsavory? And you know, the Bible really isn't clear about that. The Bible doesn't spell that out to us. But it does give us a hint of her background, doesn't it? The Bible tells us she had five husbands. So we know that she got around town. But you know, Jesus wasn't interested in any of that, was he? He wasn't there to condemn her and to judge her. But he did want to expose her sin. And at first she was surprised that Jesus, who was a Jewish man, was even talking to her because the Jews despised the Samaritans. And they went out of their way to avoid them. And we've even seen other stories where Jesus has used a Samaritan person as an example. A Samaritan got hurt, and what did the priest do but go to the other side of the street and cross on the other side of the street? So we know that there was tension between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. But also in Jesus' day, women weren't treated very well. They were considered second-class citizens. In fact, the disciples were surprised that Jesus was even talking to a woman. Why wasn't he approaching a man and having a conversation with a man? Must have been something in their mind. 
But when we look at verse 7 more closely, we see that Jesus is asking her for a drink. And he's also telling her when she said to him, uh, when she said to him the things that she said, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water. So he's already starting to set the stage for her to be able to accept the truth that he's about to share with her. And in verse 17, we see that he exposed her sin. And you notice that he doesn't expose this sin of hers. Let's take a look at verse 17 for a second. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five. And the man that you are with right now is not your husband. He didn't say this in a judgmental way, did he? He was just expressing a fact to her so that she understood who he was. His approach was more of a restorative approach. One that gives her hope of salvation, hope of forgiveness. Then in verse 26, Jesus reveals to her that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the disciples were totally perplexed that Jesus was having a conversation with a woman. But you see, the disciples are about to see how when you step out in faith and do the work of God, that God has prepared for you the fruit of the labor. And they're about to see the fruits of Jesus' labor here. Because this story teaches us that salvation is not just for the Jews. Jesus never intended for his saving work to be just for the Jewish people. He told Abraham, I am going to make you the father of many nations. And we see this in this story, that God has opened the salvation door for everyone. It is free to all who ask, and not just the Jews. It wasn't for a certain sect of people, it's for everyone. Let us take a moment now and go to John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This woman's life was exposed before Jesus. She could have chosen to deny everything that he said. She could have chosen to continue to live in the dark. She could have said to him, mind your own business. This is my life. I'll live it the way I want to. In fact, you're not even disposed to be talking to me. You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. But she didn't do that. She was willing to let the light of God shine on her to expose the sin that's in her life, to open her heart to the truth of God. 
You see, light is offered to all who will come. Drink the living water offered to you through Jesus Christ, and because you live by the truth, you come into the light that it may be plainly seen what you have done, and it will be seen in the sight of God. Just as the woman at the well was willing to accept that her deeds were evil and that she needed the living water offered by Jesus, we have this same opportunity to walk in the light of God. We can either hide our sins or let them be exposed by the light of the truth of God. Every one of us falls short of the glory of God. And the Bible teaches us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No one lives a perfect life, a life without sin. But when we let that sin be exposed to the truth of God, the light of God can shine through us and can work in and through us. Now that we understand the importance of allowing God to be the ruler of our life, let us begin to look at how we can let him complete the work that he began in us. Once we begin walking in new life and begin drinking the living water offered by Jesus, we must live out our salvation. It's not a one-time transaction between man and God. It is not an accept it and forget it offer. We live out our salvation day by day. We are saved by God's grace, and we are being saved, and we will be saved. Salvation is not a one-time transaction. We live it out day by day. He transforms us day by day. That's why Paul tells us to examine our hearts to see if we are still in the faith. Because when we examine our, when we examine our hearts, are we doing the things God has called us to do? When we do fall short, are we confessing our sins? Are we getting into the scriptures every day? Are we learning the things that God wants us to know? Are we understanding the love letters that God has given us? Let us take a moment and go to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We even learned in Bible study today that salvation is the free gift of God. And it's a free to everyone who wants it. It doesn't cost you anything to accept that gift. However, once we become believers, God has work for us to do, doesn't he? He doesn't expect us to just sit around and do nothing and to continue living life the way we did when we were sinners. And Paul taught us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He wanted us to understand that as Christians, we are God's possession. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are servants of the Most High God. As His servants, we must continue to work. 
Look at the Samaritan woman. What did she do? She took off. She ran to town. She took off, it seemed like to me, in such haste, she left her water jugs behind. She didn't even go take her water jugs with her. She wanted to get back to town to tell everyone about her salvation. She didn't just go home and continue life as nothing happened. She didn't, she could not wait to excitedly go tell others about the wonderful things that Christ has done in her life. She eagerly ran into town and shared what Christ has done for her. She wanted everyone to know that she found salvation, that salvation was offered freely, and it was offered with compassion and love. It wasn't offered in judgment. It was offered freely, and it's available to all who are willing to come to the table of a God and acknowledge that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is there for each one of us, and that he died the death that we deserve to die so that we can live the life that he has to offer. And he has to offer each one of us eternal life without sin, suffering, and loss. One day we will stand before God. We will walk with God. We will worship God and praise God that in a way that is totally free from sin. We will be rejoicing and dancing in the streets and happy. And there will be no heavy burden of sin laying on our shoulders. For we know that the yoke of Christ is light. We no longer have to be children of darkness. We are the children of light, God's children. So come, drink the living water offered by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Share his great love with everyone that you meet. Do it with a boldness and excitement. Excitedly tell everyone what he has done for you. Do not ever be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I guarantee you that anyone who believes something other than what Christ teaches, they're not ashamed of what they believe. Why should we be ashamed of what we believe? Let's stand up for what's right. Let's teach the truth of God. Let's expose sin in the world, but do it in a non-judgmental way, in a way that expresses the love of God in a way that says, you know what? You do still do these things, but don't worry about that. God will change your heart. He will do it in his way. He will do it in his time. We're not the judge. God is the judge. He's the one that works the salvation out in each one of our lives. And the way he's worked it out in our lives has not been one to where we walk in today, know God, and walk out sin-free. Therefore, why would we expect our friends, family, and neighbors who don't even know Christ yet to walk according to the word of God and according to what the scriptures teaches is truth? But we are living examples of the truth of God. How do we live? What does the world see in our lives? Let us speak boldly. Let us live boldly for Christ. Let us show the world the way of salvation by living it out daily and trust that he will change the lives of those around you.